2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, we're going to start there, and then we're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter uh, through t- verses 21. So um, let's go right into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Mm, we're going to come back to that. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given, uh, given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, which also means that is, that, what, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's cool. All right. Now unto them, or now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead that you, that you or be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be, a, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a beautiful passage of scripture, isn't it? That is beautiful. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to break this down and we're going to have fun. Um, I love preaching with fun uh, as my main goal. Joy is very big in my life. So let's pray, ask the Lord for the Broncos to win as well as the passage to be broken down. So, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together. I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be a part of our church. Um, Lord, not, not necessarily a building. That's not what the church is. We understand that the church is the local body of believers. Um, It's the global body of believers. And so, God, we pray that you will help us to embrace this calling, this newness of life, and help us to understand what Paul wrote here about being brand new. We're so totally different than when we were when we first met you. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to understand it. Give us the Holy Spirit. Make it help us make sense out of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the title of the message I gave was, uh, I am brand new. And so I'm going to help by way of illustration. I don't know if you guys can relate to me. Some of you all can relate to this, and some of you probably can't, um, at least not yet. And it was whenever my wife and I were having uh, the opportunity to be going to the Grant Medical Hospital, and giving, my wife was giving birth to our first daughter. And uh, I remember it vividly. Some of you all, anybody in here in the medical field, like in the, the maternity section at all, in the, in the hospitals, anybody work in that department? Is anybody in the medical field at all, like a nurse? You guys are awesome people. I mean, you are awesome people. She's like, amen. Okay. Well, the reason why I say that is because my own experience in the hospital was quite, quite cool. Um, when we were at Grant, um, as I said earlier, and it was wonderful because they took amazing care of the baby. But they also took amazing care of me, all right? So, and I wasn't even the one having the baby. And so maybe this is selfish, but I'm going to, let me relish in this for just a moment. Um, you know, here's what they would do. If the baby cried, you know, they had just built the new wing at Grant Medical Center um, for the new, the baby department up there. And uh, so they, they, the whole rooms were all brand new, spanking new. And so they would, they would come in, they, every time Addie would start to cry, we were there for like three days. And every time the baby would cry, they'd, they'd bring, oh, it's okay, you just, you just rest, you rest, and, and here, would you like some cookies? How about some fresh-made coffee? Well, let me fluff your pillow for you. I mean, it was just amazing care, and I loved that. And it was just, it made me feel like a million bucks. Well, I was paying them quite a bit. But anyway, um, I, just, I just remember the whole experience. But then the day came when it was time to go home. And that, that if, if you know me, I tend to have panic attacks um, when this kind of thing happens. But the day came when it was time to take Addie home, and I was scared to death. I was panicking. 
And the last time I had a panic attack was just before Addie was born. Listen, this is a true story. Becca can attest to this. Um, we were on our way. Well, Becca's, be- the whole thing, you know, like in the movies. My wife's water broke, okay, right there. And she says, oh, it's time to have the baby. I said, time to have the baby. Time to have the baby? Time to have the baby. Right now? And she said, time to have the baby. We got to go. And, of course, when you, we went to the Lamaze classes. Oh, man, that was something. Uh, if you ever had the opportunity to do that. Lamaze, anybody ever do that? Lamaze classes? Funnest time of your life right there. Anyway. We were at the Lamaze class, and I was with Nathan and Ashley. We had a great time. And uh, they were telling us that you got to be five months ahead of schedule. Five months. They said, you need to have your bags packed, ready to go, five months ahead of time. I didn't do that, okay? It was, it was three weeks. She was three weeks early. The baby came. And so I panicked, and I just packed. But I packed all of my clothes, and I didn't pack a thing for Becca, not even a pair of socks. And we get to the hospital, and, you know, days go by, and she says do I have any clothes? I said, no. <laughs> I said, I forgot to pack your clothes, honey. So anyway, um, I say that because whenever she told me, when it was time to take the baby home, um, I had another panic attack. Rebecca could see it coming, and she just looked at me. She said, all right, well, let, calm down. Calm down. It's going to be okay, and let's just take a deep breath. And I remember thinking, okay, we're going to do this. I can't believe we're going to do this. We're taking a live, miniature human home with us. This is, these people are crazy. They think we're actually going to be able to do this, you know? And so I just remember that whole thing, how it was just amazing, a brand new human, and we're taking them, this baby home. Perhaps uh, you might have felt the same way, maybe not to that degree, but when you became a Christian, I mean, everything is so new. Everything is so surreal. And, you know, just trying to put all the pieces together, and how does this whole thing make sense? And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to hone in on the reality of what really happened when we got saved. And that's what Paul is dealing with in this passage. So and it, basically what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the core values of our lives that changed when we believed in Christ to be our Savior. And some of this happened without us even really thinking about it, but let's talk about it. The first thing I want to show you from reading this passage that, that changed about us was that we believe that God is in Christ. According to this passage, that's what happened when you became a Christian. That changed. The first big thing that changed in your life. Verse 18 says, um, let's read it. He says, verse 18 says, and all of things, all the things that just happened in verse 17, everything that became new, all of this happened because of God. All right, and in fact, what Paul was saying, and he actually continues in the verse, it says that, that God, the whole premise of the whole thing is that God was in Christ. That is a huge statement that's very important because it, it, that's, that's what Christianity hinges on. If God is not in Christ, then we are literally wasting our time tonight. Do you understand that? It, it's pointless for us to be in a church or be together calling ourselves the church if God was not in Christ. But we, we believe this. We believe that it's true. Um, God is in Jesus. Jesus is in God, or Jesus is God. Amen? You believe that? That's what Christianity is. That's the gospel. Um, you cannot be a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus is God. Uh, it's very important. So Jesus himself proclaimed that to be true. So the first thing that Paul mentions here is that we believe God is in Christ. Big, big change right away. The first thing that, that, changed, that changed everything about our life was that we believe that God is a friend to everyone. Now, notice, notice the words there I'm using. We believe that God is a friend to everyone. Well, do we? Now, think about this. If, if, we, if we don't believe that, then we're not, we don't really believe the gospel. I mean, the gospel is very clear that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, 
But what about the bad people you know in your life? What about the people that you know mistreat other people or abuse other people? There's a lot of people like that. Are you saying that God is their friend? Is that, is that what you're implying here? Well, let's talk about it. Verse 19. Listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, to wit, or that is, that God was in Christ. There's our verse. You know, God was in Christ. And what was he doing? He was reconciling. Now, I want you to underline that word reconcile. I'm going to break this down. I'm going to drop a bomb in your lap. Hang on to this. Reconciling. The, the word in Greek is katalasso, all right, which means to move from a position of hostility, an enemy, okay? The word means to move from a position of hostility to a position of a friendship. Moving from hostility to friendship is what, is what the word reconcile means. All right, so the verse says that we are, or that he was reconciling the world unto himself. This is perfectly coincides with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, okay, that he gave his only begotten son. The entire world, church, is all of humanity. Good people, bad people, they're all people. And the way you look at it is like this. Maybe I have a weird kiddish mind because I read stories to my daughter. Um, The entire human race is like a bunch of Humpty Dumpties. Seriously. We've fallen down. We've shredded our lives or we've fallen apart. All these little pieces. And so Jesus is like the king. He's the only one that can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He's the only one that can put humankind back together. Now the question is, how does he do this? How in the world does, does Jesus heal humanity how does jesus how can jesus be a friend to everybody i mean even the bad people how can he do that well let's let the verse continues and it says that he by counting their not by not counting their trespasses against them but instead putting them on himself what what kind of insanity is that? that what kind of insane love is that i mean that, that God, this verse is saying that God is taking all of our bad things, all of the bad people in the world, all right? He's taking their bad sin and he's putting it on himself and he became their sin. And he says, I'm going to take your stuff and I'm going to give you my righteousness instead. I want to be your friend. That's pretty incredible. That's, that's crazy love. That's agape love. What's the word agape mean? English version. Crazy love. All right? That's the only thing you can say. It's maddening. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's God. It's the one and only God love. Nothing like it. So you see, the issue is no longer sin with humanity, but rather, or, or it's, it's, but rather it's whether or not you can believe that God is your friend. It's a matter of believing or not believing. Can you trust in Jesus? Can you believe that God is truly your friend? That's how you get saved. When you understand that God wants to be my friend, he did what for me? He loves me like that? That can't be true. So that's, that's what it comes down to. That's what salvation is. What a wonderful message to share with the world. And Paul said, we have a new message. Our message is not condemnation. Or our message is not, you're gonna, you, God doesn't love you. Our message is, God wants to be your friend. That's the message of salvation. God loves you with an incredible, invigorating love that he would do anything for you to love or for you to experience how much he loves you. That's, that's the message we have. It's called the message of reconciliation. 
A message that moves from hostility to friendship. The issue is no longer hostility or friendship. The issue is, can you believe this? God, listen to this, God isn't mad at bad people. He is a friend to everyone. The problem is, people don't believe that God wants to be their friend. That doesn't mean God's not going to punish their, their, their sin. Your sin has a punishment. We all know that. But the issue is, you have a different message to communicate. Your message is not a message of wrath, vengeance, anger. Your message is a message of love, of compassion, of grace. How did you get saved? Did you get saved because somebody hit you in the face with the Bible and said, God's going to God's going to kill you. He hates you. He can't stand the smell of you. He doesn't want to look at you. No, 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 no. You got saved because you were impacted with the revolutionary love of Jesus Christ. When you saw Jesus, you changed. God did something in your life that only he can do, which was save you. So I used to think, my, my own self, I used to think God could never love me. I have been unloved my whole life. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants to be my friend. You're telling me God wants to be my friend? But in time, God used his followers to show me his love and his friendship was real. And I began to see that this message was for real. He does love me. But because, here's the thing, because we believe that God is a friend to everyone, something remarkable happened to us. Something deep down inside of us changed. Verse 17 is what I want to bring you to now. So we're going to jump backwards here. Verse 17, explaining that now that you've got the foundation, you understand that God is, is, is Jesus and that God is a friend to everyone. He begins to explain really what has changed. Verse 17 begins and he says, in Christ. So he says this idea. We're going to talk about this. In Christ, you are a new creation. Notice he said new creation. That does not mean you're a renovation. You're not a remodel. You're not an update. You are brand new. I like that word brand. I said that intentionally because you have been branded. You belong to Jesus. You carry his name. You're not the same. You're totally different. You're not old Joe Catronio. You are new. All right, that's huge. And I'm gonna, he breaks it down of what's so new about this. All right, we have, that's where we get the term uh, born again. That's what Jesus was talking about when he says you are born again. You're being transformed you're brand new. You might say, this is great. I love talking about this stuff, Joe, but let's be honest for a minute, okay? <laughs> I know what I look like when I'm not at church, Pastor Joe. I know the stuff that's going on in my life. I, I, I still have the old me in me. I still have old struggles that I, I deal with. This, is, this doesn't really make much sense to me. I mean, it's so far removed from my life, it doesn't make sense. I, does, I don't understand what you mean when you say being, I'm brand new. Well, here's the third thing I want to show you. This is big for me. The biggest thing that you'll notice about this passage is that Paul describes something here. He calls, he says this, we are righteous. We are righteous. I'm going to explain. You've heard that term for so long of your life, and I want to actually ask you to do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Defragment everything you know about what you think you know about righteousness, and let me just slam you into the Bible. Let me just tell you what the word righteous means. I'm going to load your wagon. Here we go. All right. We are righteous. It's interesting to note that Paul, when he's talking about this in verse 17, notice what he says. He says, if any man be in Christ. That, that little prepositional word, in, has such a huge meaning. 
He's clearly talking about a Christian's position here. When you use the word in, that means a location. He's accenting a place. He's telling us that there's something going on at a specific place. He's emphasizing a position. Now, that's important because he's not talking about someone's lifestyle. He's not talking about your practice and what you do. He's saying this is who you are. You are in Christ. You're located in him. It's the way, he's not talking about the way you live. He's emphasizing where we stand in our relationship with God. We now stand in Christ. It's big. In other words, Jesus stood in my position on the cross, and he gave me the right to stand in his position as righteousness. I am righteous. He is sin on the cross. I am righteous. That's called imputation. I'm going to show you where I'm going with this. The, 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 it's big because in order to be called righteous, that means you have to be an absolute Not partial, but you have to be in absolute right standing with God. That means you've got to be holy. So this verse means that we are as righteous as Jesus. Say, what, dude? That can't be true. Let me take my breath for a minute. You're telling me that I'm as righteous as Jesus. Pastor Joe, I sin every day. Jesus never sinned. I sin. This is what's so invigorating about this doctrine. You are as righteous as Jesus, period, according to the Bible. That's big. Not because of what you do, but because of where you are. You are in Christ. All right, now, I have an illustration. Can you hand me that microphone? I have Nathan. Nathan, would you come up here? Nathan uh, gave an illustration in our service this morning uh, in the college student uh, ministry and he, he described something that he experienced a couple years ago when he took a group of college students to Kosai, right? How you say it? Kosai. And uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Listen to this. Uh, r- this is a real-life situation that happened to him. All right. So if you've been to Kosai, the new Kosai, the, it's not as good as the old one, but still, the new Kosai, they have this uh, little area, and they have two stools, one on each side, and right up and down the middle is a big, it looks like just a big piece of glass. And one person sits on each side, and as you look into this piece of glass, whatever this piece of glass is, uh, somehow, without any mechanics or whatever, they, it takes both of your reflections or both of your faces, and it, it molds the two of them together. And then what you get is some kind of weird hybrid combination of, of both people's faces. Now, Dave and Tony should be especially interested in this. Because at the time, the, the uh, person that I was sitting across from was their sister, Christine. So it was this really odd, and there's a picture somewhere floating around, I think, um, of this really odd combination of Christine and my faces together. So that's the first and only time you'll ever see that. Uh, but it was, it's so cool because you take two individuals, two separate, completely separate people, and without any mechanics or whatever, all they do is look into this and something that's completely different, completely new, and completely unique reflects back to them. And I believe that's precisely what Paul is describing in this passage. That is exactly what he's saying. And I know that's a weird analogy. Christine and Nathan coming to their faces. It probably not a, that doesn't probably look the best. But no slam on your sister. Don't mean any slam there, nor on Nathan. Uh, just, but let me go with the illustration. This is precisely what Paul is describing here to us. 
When God, listen to this, when God from, from heaven, God the Father, looks into your face right now, not when you get to heaven, but right now, when God looks into your face, he sees his son's righteousness. We are in Jesus Christ. That means his righteousness, his beauty, his joy is all ours now. You don't have to wait to have that in heaven. You have all of his righteousness now. Now, it's, 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 that's huge for me. That's, that's, that's absolutely mind-blowing. For me, I think when I hear something like that, and you talk, the Bible talks about being joint heirs with Christ. That's what it means. You are one. Jesus Christ is this. He is covering over your image. I don't know about you, but I hear that I think of like being a kid again in, in my grandmother's pool and my little swimming in the deep end with my little arm floaties and I'm just floating around in the deep end and I'm thinking, this is so cool. I mean, there's no bottom to this thing. It's limitless. It's this, this incredible love. So when I think of this, this idea of being all of God's righteousness is, 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 is mine and I am no longer, he doesn't look at me as a sinner. He calls me a saint. I have a different name now. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm called a saint. I mean, this is crazy talk. This is amazing. I am completely new. I have a new position here. And it it just, to me, I think it's amazing. Now, I think it's important also to note, who is he writing this letter to, church? What's the the name of the the, the letter call? Who is that? The Corinthians. Do anybody know how bad the Corinthians were? Uh, Let me me help you here with this. Let me give you some little background history. The, 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 The... the city of Corinth was located in the Middle East, and it was absolutely known as the, the party city in the Middle East. It was, this, it, was, it was known for reckless living and living the high life. I mean, these, it was, it was kind of comparable to like the sin city in our nation, like Las Vegas. That's what, that's what Corinth was like back then. I mean, it was known for the party life. He is telling these believers, church, yes, I know that you struggle with sin, and you have a reckless party city that you live in but your position is totally different now you are in christ you are not the old person you are different and because here's here's the linchpin because your position has been changed and you are made righteous your practice that means your lifestyle will change too paul is trying to get them to understand this is my favorite part Your position dictates your practice. I'll say that again because, man, that should go on Twitter tonight. Man, somebody should post that. Okay, if not, my wife will. All right. Your position dictates your practice. Now, I'm going to give you my last thought, and then we'll be done. My last point. This is kind of a long one. I don't even know how I was ever a youth pastor. Guys, I'm sorry if I I preached like this before, but hang with me. Okay, here's my point. Fourth thing, and I'm done. We love from our righteousness, not for our righteousness. Now, listen to that statement. We love, or we should say, you, we, we obey Jesus. Let's use that. We obey Jesus from our righteousness, not for our righteousness. Church, do you realize that this is, completely, this is a complete reversal of everything you have been taught since you were a child? This is what a new this is this is what is so new about being a Christian. Everything changed now that you are in Christ. We are used to the mentality our practice dictates our position. 
You know, we strive hard to posture ourselves for a better position. And what, what happens? It results in, in, in fear. It results in manipulation. We compete to get into a better position. We work hard. We finagle our way to, to have more success. We use people to get ourselves into that position we so desperately want to be in. But think about it. Our schools, our jobs, athletics, it's all about working hard to get to a position we want. But listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, I, that, that you, you shouldn't work hard. I'm saying I believe you should work hard for things you want. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, the principle is fundamentally different. Our position in Christ, our righteousness, is granted before our practice. Before you even do one thing, you are righteous. That's huge. Paul said in Ephesians, said it like this. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What? Now, do you, how many of you have read that before? You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. All right. Now, if you're like me, you know, I'm, I'm weird. I read something like that and I do a double take, triple take, quadruple take. Doesn't make any sense. What does that mean? I'm seated. I'm not, I'm not sitting. I'm not hanging with Jesus right now. I ain't in heaven. I mean, I want to be, but I'm not there right now. I'm sitting on my couch that's got crayons on it right now. So, I mean, that's where I'm sitting. And so when I'm reading this, I think I was seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do we realize that there is no higher position in all the universe than that right there? To be seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means you don't have to work hard to be more successful in your Christianity. You don't have to work hard to be more righteous in your Christianity. It's already yours. It's already, it already belongs to you. We are called righteous before we do anything right. So what I believe we can learn from this is instead of practicing or living for a righteous position, we should practice from our righteous position. I am loved, church. I am righteous. I am accepted. Not because I am impressing or I'm impressed, I have impressed God with my good standard of living, But because of his life-changing love, I am brand new. So it it, it truly is a matter of seeing yourself for who you really are. You are now in Christ. Listen to what Paul said in verse 14. This This is the reason why Paul lived the life that he lived. Let's read this. Verse 14. This is right how the passage begins. He said, for, or you could say, because of The love of Christ constrains me or constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. What is he saying? I work hard because Jesus has captivated me by his astounding love. Paul's passion to love people came from a proper understanding of his position. He is righteous. Therefore, he can live a righteous life. He doesn't have to pursue righteousness. That's not why he does what he does. He does what he does because he's been made to do that. So I'm going to end by saying this. Church, if we can understand that we have been made, made brand new for one purpose, and that is to love humanity, to love people, to love your neighbor, to love your coworker, to love your annoying neighbor, all right, whatever, whatever. You have been made new 
so you can love. And you love because you are made righteous. You have a new position. And because you have a new position, you have a new purpose, a new practice. And I want to be like Paul when he says, my passion to love people is coming because I understand that I am righteous. You know, I think that this is the key to overcoming sin too, by the way. This is another sermon I know. But you want to know how to overcome your sin? Seriously, this is a test-proven fact. Everyone's in this boat. Right, everybody knows what's like right on the brink of sin. You're getting ready to do what you know is wrong. And it's getting ready to happen. And you can see it. You can feel it. Your heart's pumping. You know what you're getting ready to do is going to offend God. It's going to wreak havoc in your relationship with other people. I, I know I shouldn't do this. This is what I think you should do, according to Scripture. Say out loud who you are. I am righteous. I am new. I am loved. I am accepted. I am holy. I'm different. And I promise you, you think I'm joking. Say that out loud when you're in the middle of your temptation. Say it. You know what that's called? It's called being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's called truth, church. That's the truth. When you hear truth, the truth sets you Okay. So you want to know how you break sin in your life? Tell yourself the truth. You are righteous. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for making us new. Thank you, God, for changing us. 